From the historic headquarters of the Arkansas Democrat Gazette on the corner of Capitol and Scott in downtown Little Rock, this is Capitol and Scott. I'm your host, Laura Farrar. Earlier this year, the Arkansas Game and Fish Commission announced that chronic wasting disease, a fatal disease that infects deer and elk populations, had been detected in more counties across Arkansas. This is a concern as the illness can affect the long-term health of deer and elk herds, and it also could hurt a hunting industry that generates millions of dollars for local economies. Dr. Jennifer Ballard, who is the head veterinarian and researcher for the Arkansas Game and Fish Commission, visited our studios to share the latest updates with chronic wasting disease, as well as new initiatives Game and Fish is taking to manage it. So, Dr. Ballard, uh, thank you for joining us today on the show. We've done an episode about chronic wasting disease before. Would you just mind explaining to our audience what exactly is chronic wasting disease and how does it impact those animals that are infected with it? So chronic wasting disease is one of a category of diseases called prion diseases or transmissible spongiform encephalopathies. And there are human TSEs, there are domestic animal TSEs, and CWD is one of those diseases that's very specific to uh, cervids, so deer and elk. What it essentially does is it's caused by the prion protein is a normal protein in the body of mammals. But when it takes on this new shape, this disease causing shape, it can't be broken down by the body. So it accumulates and that actually causes the cells, particularly in the brain, to die. So as those cells um, leave the brain and, and the brain no longer functions normally, it leads to death in the affected animals. Are there any other similar prion diseases that people might be more familiar with. I don't know if chronic wasting disease is fairly well known among the general public, but are there other similar diseases? I think most people probably remember um, bovine spongiform encephalopathy or what was sort of referred to as mad cow disease. So that's another, a different disease, but one in the same category. And then there's also a disease of sheep and goats, which is referred to as scrapie. And scrapie and CWD are, are very similar in that they are really the only two that are contagious, meaning uh, animals actually shed the disease protein and it is taken up by other animals and that actually causes them to start forming the disease protein in their body and so it's directly contagious from animal to animal. So when when someone encounters a deer or an elk that might have chronic wastings, what does it look like? For the vast majority of animals that are infected, um, they will look perfectly normal for well over a year while the protein accumulates in their bodies. So it has a very, very long incubation period. And during that time, the only way to know for sure that the animal is infected is to test it. After that, when they start to develop clinical signs, uh, they are the signs of neurodegeneration. So they will separate themselves from the herd. They behave abnormally. They will begin to lose weight. Um, They may uh, drool or urinate excessively, drink excessively, things like that. So that, but that's very late in the process. Sure. And I also understand there's a little bit of, of these animals not necessarily being afraid of humans anymore. I've heard stories of people sort of being able to walk up to a deer and it just not really running away per se, just kind of a different perception or relationships to just, you know, human beings or populations. Yeah, essentially they lose their awareness of their surroundings. So they're not fearful of people because they may not perceive, you know, what's going on around them. So chronic wastings has been in Arkansas for a while. 
What's the latest in terms of, you know, historically kind of where it has been? And then I understand in recent months it was detected elsewhere in the state. What, what's been going on? So we detected chronic wasting disease in 2016, uh, but at that time, the disease prevalence was already quite high. So it had apparently been in the state for uh, a much longer period of time, and it was just detected in 16. So since that time, we have done statewide surveillance. We, we've tried to get as many samples as we can. We've identified the disease now in 19 counties. Five of those have a pretty high disease prevalence, and that's pretty restricted to sort of the upper Ozark kind of Buffalo River area. But this year we also detected the disease, one case in Union County and one case in Randolph County. So those are kind of new areas that we'll be addressing. And when you see this this, uh, pop up in other areas of the state, what's your best guess as to how it got there? Well, in the case of the detection in Randolph County, we knew that there was a cluster of cases uh, across the state line in Missouri. And so that is our our best guess for that one. For Union County, we are still investigating that. Um, It has to come from somewhere. It can come from the movement of materials by people, or it can come from animal movement, but there's not a known focal area of disease for it to move into Union County from. So now we're working with our partners in Louisiana to see if we can find a a focus of disease either on their side of the state line or on ours. So in terms of testing, what is the latest uh, sort of in terms of how many deer have been tested um, cumulatively? And then what has been the infection or positivity rate among those deer that have been tested? So total samples to date have been uh, just over 41,000 samples since the initial detection. This year, we're at uh, almost 8,000 samples. We're working on setting a, a new record. We budget for up to 10,000, so we still you know, would like to test some additional uh, animals. There have been over 1,200 positive white-tailed deer and about 40 positive elk so far. But in terms of overall positivity, the way that this disease is transmitted creates very focal areas of disease. So we don't, you know, calculate a statewide prevalence. That wouldn't have any biological meaning because we know that our deer don't move around the whole state. They have sort of clustered subpopulations. And so we don't analyze the data beyond the level of county because the further you spread out geographically, the less meaning that it has. So at the county level, the disease prevalence varies quite a lot from, you know, what looks like less than 1% up to, uh, you know, well over 20% in Newton County. So that's, that's probably our most affected county. I believe a few years ago, I was reading the Arkansas Game and Fish website and that I, I could be wrong, but you all believe it could have been here as early as like 2009, 2010. I'm not really sure if those numbers are accurate, but I guess what happened in 2016 for you all to detect it and why wasn't it detected earlier? So it was it was probably present, you know, well before that, even decades before, because we know that the pattern of CWD is that it kind of it's a slow burn. So it builds up very slowly over time and, and several decades into an outbreak, would you reach a prevalence above 20%? That's not something you get to very quickly. So one of the reasons that it wasn't detected before that we were doing surveillance um, in the late 90s and early 2000s, but this is a very difficult disease to detect because of the patchy distribution on the landscape. Historically, the sampling protocols that many states used were probably not testing enough 
samples just because um, it didn't account for the ecology of the disease. So because of that patchy distribution, we actually have to test a lot more samples than we originally thought in order to detect the disease at a at particularly at low prevalences. What happened, our first detection was actually in a hunter harvested elk, and we were testing as many elk as we could, and, and it popped positive. So that was the first detection. And then uh, we were watching for sick animals and, and doing surveillance to try to figure out what was going on in that area, increased surveillance, and found a sick white-tailed deer. And so uh, very soon after, we knew that the elk was positive. And so um, those were our first two detections. How does testing in Arkansas compare to neighboring states? Are we doing more, less, about the same? I don't know if you know that or not. It varies a lot because, you know, every state has um, different challenges in terms of budget and staffing and, and politics. And so I would say that we're kind of in the middle. I think we do more. We're able to do more than some of our neighboring states. But, you know, states like Missouri uh, are able to do more than we are. So I think we're kind of in the middle. So given that so far uh, CWD or chronic wasting disease is still in servant populations, there's really no indication that it's jumping or it's it jumping to human beings or maybe even um, sort of, you know, cattle populations or uh, ranching type animals. Uh, I guess some people would say, so what's the big deal? Why do, why do we need to test for it? There's a lot of deer out there. In fact, there's maybe overpopulations of deer in some instances. Why do we need to monitor this? Well, I mentioned earlier that CWD has kind of that slow burn. And so early in the disease process, we know that, you know, just a few animals here and there are being removed. But as that disease prevalence rises, when you get into that above that 25, 30% prevalence mark, it can really have negative long-term effects on our populations. When you look at mule deer in the West, there have been really dramatic declines in their populations and very high disease prevalence. And then, uh, you know, species like elk, there have been studies where they find that the the populations don't grow and respond the way they should uh, to their environment. So this isn't a disease that we would want to lean into for population control. You know, it, it doesn't happen very rapidly. And even if the population gets smaller, it's not going to go away or fizzle out. Uh, it's going to stay there and continue to affect the population, and, and that will affect long-term herd stability and health. And you know, we are—it's our job to protect the wildlife resource and to manage it for long-term stability. And so, this is a direct threat to that. In a conversation that you and I had before this interview, you mentioned that places where CWD has been detected, the land can stay contaminated for a really long period of time. Can you talk a little bit more about that and how does that impact trying to manage this and its spread among populations? Absolutely. That is one of the biggest challenges associated with chronic wasting disease and scrapie as well, because both diseases have that characteristic that the disease protein is very difficult to break down and it remains in the environment. We don't actually know the outside limit of how long a prion can remain infectious in the landscape. Uh, we know it's at least 17 years for scrapie. So I would say one decade would be a very conservative estimate and, and two is entirely possible and it can even be taken up by plants. Uh, and so that increases the exposure of grazing animals to it. So one of the reasons that it's so important for us to detect CWD early is that we can start to manage it before that environmental reservoir 
uh, accumulates. And so that's one of the primary goals because this can be transmitted deer to deer, but also environment to deer. So if we catch it early before that environmental contamination has had an opportunity to build up, then our management strategies can be more effective because that that's a huge challenge. There aren't at this time any uh, methods available to us to decontaminate the environment and actually environmental testing is is still a challenge and kind of an emerging science so um, you know that's one of our big challenges for sure yeah I was gonna ask you um, what does it mean that land is contaminated I mean is it existing in water soil you mentioned plants like well, how does that work exactly uh, well, it, it doesn't replicate. It would just be it's shed in the urine, feces, and saliva of infected animals. It can also be deposited from carcasses and unwanted parts, you know, the organs, the things that people don't consume. If an animal's positive, it, that deposits it into the environment. It, it depends a lot on soil composition as well. I think we're just starting to understand the science be behind that and the role of soil composition in prion persistence. But some soils bind it up and make it less available. Some soils can make it more available. It's not making more prion, but it's just out there in the environment. And as animals take it up and pass it through their bodies, uh, they have the potential to become infected. We'll be right back with more Capital and Scott. Hi, this is Lara Farrar. The stories we dive into on Capitol and Scott are just a fraction of the reporting the Democrat Gazette brings to readers every day. If you'd like to support our commitment to bringing you the latest in Arkansas news, sports, and entertainment, consider subscribing to the Democrat Gazette. With your subscription, you'll get a digital edition of the newspaper every morning, along with the latest news and updates delivered to you on an iPad provided at no extra cost. For just $34 a month, you'll get the same award-winning journalism you've come to expect from the Democrat Gazette, plus exclusive photo galleries, videos, articles, and digital extras like this podcast, all in the palm of your hand. To sign up today, call 1-800-482-1121 or visit us online at arkansasonline.com forward slash subscribe. Welcome back to Capital and Scott. So one of the reasons that we're doing this interview now is that hunting season, I, deer hunting season, I don't, I'm not terribly familiar with the different types of hunting, but it's just kind of wrapped up in the past few weeks. There have been some new developments with the spread of CWD in the state, but also some uh, initiatives with Game and Fish concerning D CWD. One included uh, this hunting survey that you uh, have done recently. What exactly was that? Why did you do it? And what did you find from it? So yes, deer season just closed on February 28th. And so that concludes, you know, the end of our, our hunter harvest and the bulk of our sampling because hunters are, are really critical to our surveillance efforts. But we also do, as you said, have several research initiatives. Uh, one of those was a social science survey. So we talked to hunters about what their perceptions of CWD were, how they wanted to get information, how they felt about it, how they felt we were doing managing it. We actually did a very similar survey in 2017 when it was first detected. And so this was a repeat where we really wanted to find out had anything changed, you know, how folks were feeling five years in. There were some some really interesting things there. I think it was overall very, very positive. One of the things we asked hunters was, you know, what were their motivations for hunting? 
because we felt like that would influence their perceptions of chronic wasting disease. It may be a surprise to many non-hunters that the main reason that hunters in Arkansas reported hunting was to spend time with friends and family. The second most important reason was time spent in nature. And the third most important reason was the opportunity to harvest food. The least popular reason was actually trophy hunting, which I think would surprise a lot of people who maybe aren't hunters or aren't familiar with the hunting culture. But that's actually really consistent then with national surveys about hunter motivations. And so we looked at their level of trust and if that varied by what their motivations were for hunting. We asked them how they wanted information. They, you know, really appreciate information coming in our hunting guidebook and on our website. They also, you know, a lot of people wrote in that they get a lot of information from podcasts. So, you know, we're reaching out to to folks who do podcasts to provide the information through those formats. So we're just trying to stay in tune with what people want and, and need. Overall, hunters felt that they had a high level of trust in the agency. They felt they had received a lot of good information in a timely manner. Um, they were very supportive overall of our management strategies, but there's still some some questions or some hesitancy to implement other strategies. And so those are the things we'll focus on moving forward is helping people understand the science and the reason behind some of the strategies that we use to manage the disease. What would be something that maybe they were a little bit you know, skeptical of or questioning concerning a strategy. So when you look at the science on how we manage chronic wasting disease, there's there's really only two methods that are proposed and supported uh, thus far in the science, and we hope that new technologies are, are coming. But one of those is to actually manage the disease, and by manage, we're not talking about eradication, but we are talking about suppressing the disease prevalence to prevent those long-term population effects. So that's our management goal. Managing CWD prevalence through hunter harvest is a tool that's been examined and what it requires is focusing the harvest on uh, male harvest uh, harvesting bucks because they carry the highest prevalence of disease and actually the effects of that become more consistent when you don't distinguish between older bucks and younger bucks if you just harvest bucks that's uh, one of the methods that we can use to help suppress the disease but that means that we've removed what are called antler point restrictions or the the three-point rule in our CDBD affected areas and uh, that's the three-point rule is something that's been around for a long time that has had a lot of hunter support. And so it was kind of a bell-shaped curve. There wasn't strong opposition. There wasn't strong support. It was kind of split. And uh, I think we'll probably talk a lot more to hunters in the future about exactly why you know we want them to be harvesting additional deer or harvesting younger deer. I've always been curious um, what is sort of the incentive for someone who's out hunting in whatever part of the state to bring a deer in for testing to begin with. Why would someone do that? It seems like just an extra step before going home and, you know, watching football or something. So how do you get people to do that? So as you as you kind of allude to there, um, testing in our state is not mandatory. Uh, it is for elk, but it's not for white-tailed deer. Um, some states have mandatory testing, but, but we don't. And when we did our survey, we actually asked hunters what their motivations were. We had encouraged people to test, but I, I don't know that we gave them a reason. We kind of just hoped that they would. So we asked them, you know, if you had your deer tested, why? And actually, the most popular reason is that they wanted to support the agency and they wanted to support management efforts. Hunters are conservationists. They care about the resource and they want to contribute to this effort and to protect the resource long term. So that was the most significant or popular motivator. 
leader that we found among our hunters in that survey. The second, and, and it was a close second, was actually testing it for before consuming it. They weren't comfortable with the idea of consuming CWD positive deer, and so they wanted to know those test results before consumption, which when you're hunting in a CWD affected area is actually recommended by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. They do not recommend consuming uh, CWD positive animals. Right. But again, to clarify, there's still no indication that it has impacted humans yet, even though it's not recommended. Um, you know, and we don't want to cause widespread panic out there that people have eaten deer this season because you know, need to be worried about something. But obviously there could be some risk involved eventually. Yeah. So the idea there is, um, you know, if you look at what happened with with BSE or, or mad cow disease, a huge number of people were exposed and a very small number got sick. But that was um, very significant for those individuals. And what they're concerned about is that there may be individuals in the population who have a genetic predisposition uh, to prion disease. And so it wouldn't be a population wide thing, but they just can't rule out that possibility that there may be some susceptibility individuals. And so it's not specific to CWD. Actually, public health officials just don't recommend consuming any animal that has a prion disease. But as you pointed out, CWD has never been documented in people. And the, the research on it's just a little mixed and they um, urge caution. Sure. So shifting gears a little bit, there's also some other developments with research in general. You will have some new partnerships or some new initiatives just researching CWD. Um, what exactly is going on there? So we, we've committed ourselves to a lot of research in the last five years. And so uh, some of the things that we've worked on, we've completed a genetics study of our white-tailed deer. We've identified eight subpopulations. And that not only helps us manage our deer better in the big picture, but it helps us also kind of predict where the disease can flow through natural deer movement, because we now know kind of where where the deer populations are and where those boundaries are and they're less likely to mix across those boundaries. So that was one study we did. We've helped us look at the possibility of does with CWD giving birth to uh, CWD positive fawns. Um, we've contributed samples to that. We've contributed samples to a national study looking at prion strains across different uh, geolocations around the country because it's not just in Arkansas. Over half the states in the country are CWD positive at this point. There's been new detections in uh, Louisiana, Alabama, and Idaho just this year. So um, a, a lot's happening there. But the most recent uh, research project that we've undertaken that we're very excited about. It's it's actually the largest research project we've ever, as an agency, undertaken. It's a five-year study to look at the effects of CWD on our deer population. So we have partnered with the University of Georgia, Colorado State University, and they are collaring deer in our Ozark region at high prevalence, medium, and low prevalence areas. And they're watching their survival between CWD positive and, and CWD negative animals. They're comparing their movements, their behaviors, and they'll be able to use that information to build a model where we can not only determine what effect this disease is having on our population, but also uh, model out what management strategies may be most effective. So shifting gears again, Hunting industry is a huge industry. Do you think it's having an impact or is there sort of, and, I, and we did a podcast, I guess it was a few months ago, a couple months ago with Brian Hendricks, who's our wildlife expert here at the Arkansas Democrat Gazette concerning CWD and hunting. 
how do you all see it impacting the industry? Are hunters concerned? Could it hurt the industry if it's more widespread in the state? It's sort of like, uh, you know, if there's more if there's more prevalence and it could hurt hunting. So, you know, the incentive to make it more prevalent would sort of not be there to keep the industry booming in Arkansas. How do those two things kind of not be at odds with each other? Well, I, I think healthy populations support a strong hunting culture. You know, if, if we don't protect the long-term health and viability of our population, you know, what what are folks going to hunt? So I think fundamentally protecting wildlife health and viable populations supports a strong hunting industry. But uh, what we're seeing so far, particularly through the survey we just referenced, uh, we're not losing hunters on a large scale based on CWD. I think um, we actually looked at hunters who had bought licenses for five years previous, which meant we talked to some folks who in those five years had stopped hunting. And we asked them why, why they hadn't hunted during that time. And I think only one person said it had anything to do with CWD. Folks are getting busy. Life is just busy. And so we are seeing on national scale of declining hunter participation. But in our state, we are not seeing that CWD is driving that declining participation. But, you know, again, I think it's really important that we look at and protect the long-term viability of the resource because that is, is fundamentally what you need to have a strong hunting culture. So outside of the concern for hunters, for conservationists, that for the average man on the street concerning public health, why does CWD management and monitoring and research matter? Public health officials really think that it, if it could ever affect a person, it would be specific to consuming it. So that's there's not really a general public health concern, but um, just the kind of recommendations for hunters consuming those animals. Uh, so why would an, an average person care? You know, the, the wildlife resource belongs to them. In North America, uh, we're different than other countries where the, the wildlife, you know, maybe belong to the government or to private landowners. The wildlife here belong to the public. They belong to current generations and they belong to future generations. And I, I hope that they fundamentally value that resource and they know that in us working to manage this challenge, you know, we're trying to maintain and, and manage the well-being of that resource on their behalf. So I'm just curious sort of your daily day in and day out monitoring or working with uh, CWD research management. What does it look like for you year round and especially during the off season when people aren't hunting? What are you all doing? So as the state wildlife veterinarian, I oversee a fish and wildlife health program that is a comprehensive program. It includes CWD, but it is very much not limited to CWD. So there is research going on throughout the year. We continue to do surveillance throughout the year. We respond to sick animals, roadkill animals. Uh, we do herd health analyses, but we're also looking at other significant challenges for wildlife health and conservation. I support our um, hatcheries. We have five hatchery systems. I'm their veterinarian for that. Uh, we're doing research on, you know, sarcoptic mange in bears and uh, looking at issues like that. We have recurring distemper outbreaks in raccoons, uh, white nose syndrome in bats. We want to look more at diseases of reptiles and amphibians because disease is a, a driving factor in global amphibian decline. So there's, there's many wildlife health and fish and wildlife health issues that we look at throughout the year. And, and CWD is just one of those. We have a very comprehensive program. Well, Dr. Ballard, thank you so much. This is such a fascinating topic, and hopefully we'll meet with you again to see how things are going uh, in a few months. Okay, wonderful. Thank you for having me. 
Capital and Scott is co-produced and engineered by Nick Popovich and co-produced and hosted by me, Lara Farrar. As always, thanks for listening. We'll be back Wednesday, March 23rd. 